0: Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. Chris, hold
1: on! I'm, I'm recording up, right man? now. Hold on! I just I just started oh, recording. Give me some, God, give me some time. You didn't, you did not like bring me in. Okay,
0: you need to do that. Oh gosh, seriously! Oh, yeah. I need to be nice to your emotions while we're turning while we're hitting. <laughs> well, record on our computers now
1: well we were talking and all of a sudden you started hey we're doing it and i was not ready to go
0: man i thought we were recording this whole time i used all my good content there while i was just bullshitting with you and we were new recording
1: Ugh. you don't have good material i know better
0: <laughs> <known you> <laughs> all my good time. jokes are gone <laughs> they're gone <laughs> that's right hey how you doing jess christopher Bullheis. I'm great, man. What's going on with you? Not a
1: lot. I'm really looking forward to this because I think it's kind of fun. This episode is all about news in geoscience, right? Yeah. And I mean, first of all,
0: this is really important. I'm surprised it's taken us two years to really do this because there's so much geoscience news and actually – you know, one of our main themes is, hey, geoscience is important. Everybody should know about the planet. We've spent a lot of time talking about basic stuff. We spent a lot of time interviewing really freaking unbelievably talented geoscientists. And I'm not discounting any of that stuff, but we really, we should keep doing this. We should be talking about stuff that's in the news that's relevant because it's everywhere and people just need to look for it, right? I had the same thought. I think
1: we did this once
0: before way you're, you're like right. we did. season 1 I think we did
1: but actually interesting you said this because I picked a topic but I wrote down three other topics that I want to run by you and I want you to know <laughs> I want I want to ask you what topic I should have picked because there was a lot to go <laughs> from it was great. like I love this stuff and it this is also a cool part of our job
0: right I think this is a really important part of our, like you said, job for Planet Geo, but also this is really something that I think you do, or at least really good educators do regularly is bring newsworthy stuff to your classroom, right? Like you, I remember in class uh, when I was taking your classes in high school, you know, you were always really good about that, about bringing in, you know, relevant stuff from the news and say, oh, this is so cool. You know, Mount St. Helens is kind of showing signs of eruption or anything that's, relevant to what we're talking about, bringing it into the classroom. It's a really important thing to do in the classroom, I think, too.
1: I think so, too. Let me walk back 25 plus years ago when I first started teaching. This is something I actually really struggled with. 40.
0: You mispronounced it. You mispronounced (laughs) it. 45.
1: Not not funny. (laughs) I really struggled with this relevancy because we have always been the redheaded stepchild of the science field. And to some extent, we still are which I struggled with, why are we doing what we're doing and how is it important in terms of earth science education, geoscience education? And I look back on that now and I cannot believe that I actually had those feelings, but I did because to me, I look at it and say, how can we not view this as really, really important? We only have our planet. There's no planet B. Everybody needs to know as much about it as we possibly can so we can take care of it.
0: Geosciences has gone through this stratospheric launch into the public eye with climate change, and sustainability, and critical minerals. All sorts of stuff has really elevated us in the last several years, even in the last decade, for sure. And now
1: we're struggling with the education problem is we don't have enough qualified people to <laughs> teach right. it. We have this all of a sudden it's been elevated to this new platform, but we don't have the people that are prepared to like attack it and teach it and, and make it relevant to the masses.
0: Totally right. So Chris, in this episode of planet geo, we have each brought one news article. That the other person doesn't know about, and we're going to tell the other person about it. We're going to kind of get up on our soapbox and lecture about it, right? <laughs> no, I think we're going to bring it. We're going to have a discussion, right? I don't know what we you're bringing. Wait. You don't know what I'm bringing. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Do we play rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first here?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. You ready?
0: Winter we're going to go first. one, two, three, shoot. You're one, two, three, shoot person? Okay.
1: Yeah. One, two, three,
0: shoot. Okay. Okay.
1: All right. Ready? One, two, three, shoot. <laughs>
0: scissors. You- both Scissors <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right here we go ready one two three shoot
0: <laughs> oh my paper. gosh
1: both paper let's we're gonna have to edit this out here we go one two three shoot oh rock you got me yes went with <laughs> rock, rock over scissors all right go you smashed me
0: it's embarrassing that it took both of us three times for one of us to do rock that's well really great gross. minds okay. think alike right that's true all right chris so The news article I'm going to bring, and we're going to link these in the show notes, so this will be the first link in the show notes, is a recent paper that was published this week, published in the journal Nature Communications, Earth and Environment. But the title is, Failed Eruptions Are at the Origin of Copper Deposits. And the title of the paper is, Supergiant Porphyry Copper Deposits Are Failed Large Eruptions. So,
1: you would pick a topic like this, Oh. My
0: gosh! Here's the Ooh. idea. Here's know, Here, let me let oh, me give you let me give oh, you the pitch, oh, oh, oh. okay, Chris? Right.
1: Everybody else just fell asleep right now. I should have
0: gone first. Oh. <laughs> I really should have gone. first. Maybe you should have. But let me pitch it to you. <laughs> let <laughs> me explain the relevance okay. here.
1: <laughs> but you don't have time because everybody right now is nodding off. You need to hurry.
0: Okay, all right, I'll hurry. All, right, all <laughs> right, listen up. Listen up, really quick. Copper <laughs> porphyry deposits. These are You're deposits. You're talking
1: fast. Okay. You're
0: <laughs> These. Pay attention. Wake up, people. Copper, really important element for our entire society. All of our conductors run on copper. Copper is super important. 60% of the world's copper comes from these deposit types that sit above magma chambers. So they're formed above active magma chambers or ancient magma chambers rather in the alteration zone above magma chambers. So magma comes into the crust, heats it up, a bunch of fluid circulating around, a bunch of coppers dumped off in there. The idea behind this paper is that super giant, the really, really massive ones could have been really big volcanoes, but they didn't erupt. And the reason that it's a big giant copper deposit is because the magma did not erupt out into the surface. It sat there and cooked. And here's the societal relevance. We are running out of big copper deposits that are exposed on the surface. So we're going to have to get better at identifying them underneath of the surface. And so knowing how these types of deposits form, and this applies for copper and gold and all sorts of other things. Basically, as a society, we found all the easy ones now. All the ones sitting on the surface, we found. We know where they are. We need to get better at finding the ones that are below the surface. So we have to have a better understanding of how these big deposits actually form the science behind the formation. Good pitch or bad pitch, Chris?
1: Well, well, okay.
0: Close. (laughs) I almost convinced you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Both. No, actually, I think this ties right back to what you originally said is relevancy. This is why we need to understand and learn about where our resources come from. Because if we know how they form, where they form, then we know where to look. And we also know that from this broader general public perspective – resources actually come from non-renewable resources, they're getting harder and harder to find. So I think that's my takeaway from your little pitch there. Yeah. So give us all the
0: rundown of the article. You got a couple minutes here or a minute. Yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, got one, one minute. So it's a relatively simple idea is that these Magma systems. So, we're talking about a subduction zone magma system. So, a volcanic chain sitting above a subduction zone system. Beneath those volcanoes are big magma. So, like
1: the Cascades,
0: like the Andes, that kind of thing. The Cascades, exactly. Andes. Sitting beneath the crust is this big, what's called a transcrustal magma system. So, we've talked about before how magma chambers don't really exist, it's not a pure liquid form. Our interview with Dr. Diana Roman, she talked a lot about this, how It's a magma mush system. So it goes from 40 kilometers deep, the crust mantle boundary, and then all the way up to the surface. There's like these bits of melt all the way through this transcrustal system. And sometimes you get volcanoes above that, that erupt magma out the surface, it becomes lava. And sometimes you don't erupt for various reasons to do with the plumbing system or the type of magma. It won't erupt. It'll kind of get close to erupting, but not quite erupt. The idea behind this paper is that they created a little model for magma chambers sort of fluxing through the crust and the amount of copper that comes out of the mantle, the original stage of producing the magma, how much that's kind of going through the crust. And basically their calculations and some comparisons to natural data suggest that the really, really, really big copper deposits take a long time to form which means that they had a lot of magma passing through, but they never really erupted. So basically you got to kind of cap. It's
1: very slow
0: transit. Yeah. When a volcano is erupting, it's kind of losing all the heat. It's losing all the fluids. And that means you can't really form this copper deposit. You got to let it cook for a while. That's kind of the idea of the paper.
1: Question then, is it associated with more viscous magma? Like more silica rich, rhyolitic, Or and acidic kind of magma as as opposed to basaltic because basaltic is not going to do that,
0: right? That's true, Chris. And so the idea behind the really big porphyry copper deposits is that they're failed large eruptions. So they could have been really, really monster eruptions because it's this viscous magma, but the viscous magma got stuck in the magma chamber and kind of cooked it. You wouldn't generate this. Right.
1: That was my point. Like, is it associated with the magma that's super sticky?
0: Yep, for sure. That's something we kind of understand about normal porphyry copper deposits. So anyway, that's my uh, news article of the week. All right, Chris. All right. Your turn. You ready? Okay. I'm ready.
1: (laughs) So I want to read four different headlines, okay? okay. And I want you to
0: guess. (laughs) Guess which one you picked? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. You ready? All right. All right.
1: Okay. Lunar soil grows plants. That's super recent. From seawater to drinking water with the push of a button. That's headline two. Lapilli offers further evidence of meteor impact 66 million years ago. And lastly, seafloor spreading
0: slowing down. Ooh. I, what
1: did I pick? I think, I think you Remink. picked
0: either three or four. I'm going to go with number three. Lapilli and uh, further evidence of meteorite impact. All right.
1: I did not pick number three, but that was written (sighs) by Dr. Maya Wejas. Oh,
0: hey, Maya. Great. (laughs) We interviewed her. That was a great interview too. Go listen to that. And
1: I loved the article. That's why. So I'm looking at these four and I love them all. So this was a very difficult decision for me, actually. Like I
0: labored over this a lot.
1: Okay. I picked... From seawater to drinking water with the push of a button.
0: Oh wow. I heard that headline. I thought, nah, that's not that's not Chris Bullhuis. Okay, hit me with it.
1: Okay. I'm gonna can I give you the story on this, the backstory on this? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I love backpacking, right? All right? You know that So we've heard. so you're supposed to like say yes, Chris, yes, you do like backpacking. Yes, Chris, so, yes, Chris. Yeah. We know okay. we know right. that. Yep, yep, Thank you for being a good podcast partner right there. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so last summer We were in Yosemite. It was me, my wife, Jenny, and then my daughter, Bella, and her boyfriend, Brandon. And we had a very, very long day. We got up at two two o'clock in the morning and we summited uh, Half Dome. And we had the mountain to ourselves. But on the way up, Bella's boyfriend dropped his water bottle. (laughs) And it cascaded down the mountain, like it's somewhere 5,000 feet down in Yosemite Valley. It's down there somewhere, right? Like it was like a rocket. It was gone. And I was so pissed for an instant because the night before he
0: broke our water filter. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. I just... Listen, I, I've met Brandon a couple times. I feel for the guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> dating into the Bullhides family is an adventure. You have to be kind of a hearty soul to do this. And also to go on a backpacking trip with the Bullhouses, you've got to really sort of grit your teeth and bear it, I think, a bunch. I feel for that the
1: guy. That was like getting thrown into the lion's den. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it, totally. Was,
0: it was for real. It's an intense family, the Bullhides family.
1: <laughs> I have. Um. Uh, so I bought a a water filter it's msr and it's called the guardian it's way overkill for anything in the united states right but they tested it in a um wastewater treatment plant. You know? <laughs> so they dropped this thing in and they filtered it into a Nalgene bottle and sent it off to get tested. And it was good to go. <laughs> like, that's, um, I looked at this. I'm like, I have to have that. Yeah, I gotta like, have that's yeah, amazing. <laughs> water. I think water filters are they're Okay. All right. All
0: right. That. Hey, Mr. Like get off beast here. Come on back okay, to the story. <laughs> yeah, you're right,
1: you're right. Okay. That's why I was drawn to the story. Right. Is because I'm really interested in filtering water. But we have this water crisis and you know, this is something that's super important to me from a geoscience perspective. You know, we have enough water on the planet for 9 billion people and we have seven and a half billion people right now, but we already have water issues in the world that are massive and major water issues. This is a crisis that is in the making and it's just going to get worse. So this is why this headline caught my attention.
0: Good intro sales pitch there, definitely.
1: And so this is a way of filtering water using electricity and no filters. No filters. It's the size of a briefcase. And by the way, when they were done, it surpassed the World Health Organization quality standards. Now, the filter that I talked about, the MSR Guardian, $350, (laughs) $350, <laughs> way overkill, that my daughter's boyfriend broke with his foot. Still pissed about that.
0: You don't hold <laughs> grudges about that, do you, Chris? <laughs> One year on. So this device
1: uses electrical power, electricity, to remove charged particles from the water. And so basically, Jesse, right, saltwater is loaded with ions yeah, and ions are charged particles. And so it uses that likes repel likes and opposites attract. It uses that technology to desalinate water. So we're talking about taking salt water and making it drinking water. Okay. That's what this is all about. Nice. And you know, like the goal with this, the original goal with this project, with this study, was for to like help people on cargo ships, small islands, like the Tonga eruption that we talked about in our Geo short a long time ago, you know?
0: Is this like a standalone briefcase that's got its own like battery pack in it and you just, you know, filter? Well, her.
1: hold on. I'm going to get to that in a second. You know, the drawback to using filters is that these filters are so hard to press water through them, right? So it requires a lot of fuel to do this. And that's the drawback to this. This thing... It relies upon a technology, and I'm going to just read this to you, okay? Because it relies upon what's called ion concentration polarization, or ICP. Basically, water is a polar molecule. It has a lopsided charge. It behaves like it's an electrical substance, but it's really not. But it behaves like it is. And the ions that are dissolved in it do as well, okay? Like sodium plus ions, chloride negative ions, and so on. And so... They began this study like 10 years ago, and what it does is this ICP or ion concentration polarization applies an electrical field to water flowing through a channel. And what they do is they repel positively or negatively charged particles, which includes, get this, right? It includes salt, like salt water, right? Bacteria and viruses. Wow. Like Isn't okay, that, isn't that cool. crazy? That's amazing. Okay. Viruses. So basically imagine a tube that water's flowing through and they're using this electrically charged thing to affect positively and negatively charged particles, which include the three things that I talked about, and it pushes them into a discharge tube. So there's water running through the discharge tube that it pushes them through and that goes out. The water passing through is clean. This is absolutely fantastic. This is amazing, right? It uses less electricity than a phone charger to do this. Now, they wanted to make this really user-friendly. What was really important to them is like even a Jesse Ryman could use this. Now, that's (laughs) like a tall
0: order, right? That's pretty (laughs) user-friendly right there. That is an extremely user-friendly product.
1: It's a one finger push thing. And they developed an app that you can use in your phone.
0: I wonder what happens (laughs) when I push this big red button right here.
1: (laughs) This is exciting to me because to me, I look at this and say, this is the future. We need to take this knowledge and let's build it better. That's why I picked this. It's something I'm really passionate about. I love backpacking water filters, obviously, and this kind of technology is it's just so exciting to
0: me it's a great one and uh, you know if you're sitting there thinking, hmm, now that I'm thinking about salt water, why are the oceans salty? you know we've got to play a Planet <laughs> you episode about that one <laughs> we, do. we do but it Which... is that is one of these like really fundamental questions, but it's it's yeah. the type of thing that You know, you don't often just ponder. Most people don't even think about that question necessarily. If you're thinking about, hey, how do you get salt out of water? But also, why is there salt in water? Yeah, we've got an episode about that. But
1: Chris- Hold on. Can I jump on this bandwagon a second? Yeah,
0: yeah, you may. Join the bandwagon. While
1: you listen to Why Are the oceans Salty? Then uh, as a part of that episode too is what is hard water? Ooh. And that is something that affects
0: a lot of people. And we should all know this. And that's going back. That's Planet Geo. That's like, you know, retro (laughs) Planet Geo. Early days. Forgive the sound quality, maybe. Um, Chris, that's a really interesting one. I like that news article. Did I choose well? I think so. I mean, I don't know what the other ones are, but you chose a really good one. I'm intrigued by that. And you know, the societal relevance, water is such an important thing. You know, I was just reading, there's this Bureau of Labor Statistics, things that come out with geoscience and the employment sector for hydrology or studying water knowledge of water is expected to grow at more than the geosciences and the geosciences are expected to grow larger than the background us economy over the next 10 years so it's a really important field to have an expertise in in the future for we need employability people. we need people we need hydrologists man <laughs> that's right
1: anyway right.
0: hey this was fun we should do this again and much more regularly i think uh yes, even though i
1: agree it's relevancy though and i did like not knowing what you were going to talk about at all until you talked about it not the foggiest
0: clue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, that's a wrap. Follow us on all the social medias. We're at Planet Geocast. Send us an email, at gmail.com. We've got a listener questions episode on the books coming up, and we're putting together some questions. So if you got a good one, throw it in there. We might throw it in the episode. Follow us. Give us a like and a subscribe, and leave us a review and a rating. Those really help on your podcast platforms. Go to our website planetgeocast.com share
1: this with somebody that cares about our planet
0: yeah how about that so good there we go hey man that's a wrap see you next week cheers